African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us uh, right here on Channel Africa. Uh, Thank you for joining us on our various platforms. It's uh, actually great uh, having you on our program. Remember, uh, on our shortwave service, you're on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're joining us on DSTV, uh, you can uh, find us uh, on uh, Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Uh, Don't forget that you can also uh, stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to look at the hot mess in South Africa, which is the load shedding that we've experienced in the last few weeks. And uh, this week we were actually told by ESCOM that uh, we might not experience uh, load shedding this week. And it's been actually terrible because when you look at uh, this particular issue, it has actually uh, ramifications when it comes to the economy of the country. Now, in its latest plan of action, South Africa's leading opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, is gearing up to lead a march across the country this coming Friday to protest against the power crisis at the power utility ESCOM and the looming electricity traffic hike. The National Energy Regulator of South Africa uh, will raise the cost of electricity by an average of 3.5% above inflation uh, for the next uh, three years. ESCOM has been marred by corruption rolling blackouts and governance challenges. But South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa is optimistic uh, about uh, the power utility. He says it can be turned around and emphasize that the government is taking steps to correct all that has been going wrong. There's been questions around Cyril Ramaphosa's uh, role in terms of uh, the current status quo of where we are with ESCOM. Uh, a lot of um, commentators have been saying that he was also uh, part of the crisis. Is that actually true? Um, There's a lot of conversations happening in South Africa around uh, its energy crisis. But joining us right now in our studio, we've got Roger uh, Liley. I hope I'm saying that the surname right. Is it Liley? Lily. Lily. I like that. It's a very flowery indeed, (laughs) Roger. (laughs) He's the editor of Energize magazine. And also we're going to be joined by other guests on the line. Roger, I mean, you've been experiencing these uh, load shedding just like everyone else. And I'm sure um, as an editor of an energy magazine, you've been right in the center of these particular conversations. Where are we right now when it comes to ESCOM? I mean, just a few days uh, or weeks ago, especially when we heard uh, the plans that Sir Ramaphosa had or when he had his SONA address, we thought, hey, maybe this is a hopeful event. We will see uh, this particular uh, enterprise being brought into fragmented units and each can actually have its focus and then weeks later we still saw uh, these uh, load shedding um, events taking place what are your thoughts of this whole confusing element that we call ESCOM? Well I I think the situation with ESCOM is simply that uh, the problems that have been going on have been allowed to go on for too long Sure. so we have a situation now where the problem is so big. Uh, it's like, how do you eat an elephant? Yeah. You know, it's it, it, it really so big that nobody seems to know where to start. 
So the president has uh, formulated this uh, technical team who are going around looking at the different uh, power stations to identify exactly where the problems lie. Um, but again, this is something that needn't, needn't have been done. Eskom has its own technical team and its own uh, station managers. Sure. Uh, they should already know what's going on. They should already be able to identify. But it seems that Eskom has deferred or delayed maintenance to the point where uh, all they've done is just kept things going instead of maintaining things properly. And mm. then they've had these partial losses. In some cases, they've had complete uh, failures, a complete power station dropping out. Yeah. And, and when this happens, of course, then we're plunged into I- immediate uh, load shedding of, of, mm. of a significant amount. On top of that, you know, the, the situation with uh, diesel or the lack thereof yeah. um, for, the, for, for the peaking plant was also very short-sighted. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how that, that was allowed to happen, and I'm not sure whether Eskom was to blame or the, uh, the, 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 the fuel fund or who it was to blame. Somebody was to blame, obviously, uh, that insufficient uh, amounts or quantities of diesel were on standby, were on hand. Mm. Um, and this, this also is a grave concern because... If they keep driving these peaking plants hard, my concern is that one of those are going to fail. Mm. And then we have a really big problem because they are our standby. And if the standby fails, you have no standby. Mm. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm also a bit confused as to how it is that they can, uh, that Eskom can vacillate so quickly from f- stage four load shedding, which is four gigawatts of power, yeah. to nothing. Now we have no load shedding. Mm. Um, I don't understand how it can flip and flop so significantly. Um, that too is, is a mystery. Well, let me bring in Professor Samson Mampueli, who's the director at the Center for Renewable and Sustainable Energy Studies at the Stellenbosch University. And uh, Professor, what uh, Roger is highlighting is very important here because maybe that's where the element of um, uh, dishonesty that we're getting from ESCOM itself, that one week we add an optimal level and then the next week we reintroduce to load shedding once again. And over the years, especially the last two years, there has been a sense of dishonesty from ESCOM to the public where the public doesn't really know what's happening with the power utility. Yes. um, Yeah, it's quite uh, difficult to actually... Uh, determine what is the actual problem on the side of ESCOM mm. uh, because the reasons that are advanced in, in, in most cases don't really uh, tie to what we see. Uh, for instance, when they talk about the loss of um, uh, power coming from the Mozambique side of things, uh, you know, it, it becomes kind, kind, of, kind of a challenge because you're looking at about 1,000 1, megawatts only that we we import from that side and that can surely not lead to uh, blackouts in in the country that those are some of the reasons that they, that were advanced and when one looks at the the actual generation capacity that escom has as, as compared to some of the the the, 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 the megawatts that we had we had lost um, and comparing that to the, the the peak demand in the country uh, one could easily come to a conclusion that the, the, the load shedding was not uh, necessary at that point in time. And then uh, at some point then they came up with um, a, a quite big numbers. I mean, if you if you talk of uh, 17,000 megawatts, that's off the grid. That's mm. quite a lot. 
yeah. uh, you know, yeah. due yeah. to maintenance. Um, I mean, maintenance is something that is planned in advance. Yeah. Uh, so you, we, we don't expect that when, when you, you, you're busy with your maintenance, you can go almost half of what you, of your generation capacity, you can take mm. that off the grid. And the, the other issue, uh, which is the issue that um, Roger mentioned, the, the issue of coming down from 4,000 uh, megawatts down to 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 to, to nothing in, mm. in terms of the losses, that also raises questions in terms of uh, just a few days ago we we, we, we lost 4,000 megawatts and then all of a sudden yeah. we've got the 4,000 megawatts back. So the, in terms of the reasons. And, and what is happening, one gets a sense that there is something that ESCOM is not telling the public. Mm-hmm. So ESCOM needs to really come out and tell us what are the actual causes for load shedding. Well, I want us to listen to ESCOM's Andrew Etzinger, who's been speaking to the public for the last few days. I haven't seen Nikulu Pasiwe around, who is the spokesperson lately. I think also this issue is becoming a, a big issue for just the media liaison. I think that's why um, Andrew is now taking uh, hold of the spokesperson role. But let's listen to how he actually spoke to us uh, earlier on in, in this particular week when one of my colleagues uh, spoke to him around this energy crisis because this week they announced that we won't be experiencing load shedding this week. Let's hear what he had to say. We're busy with final preparations for, for winter and within the next two to three days we'll be in a position to communicate back to the public as to what the winter outlook is, is looking like. Certainly we'll be doing a little bit of maintenance throughout winter and that will put a little bit of additional pressure on the system but that's important that we get that maintenance done. But as to the actual specifics as we head to the, the cold season, I don't have at the moment. We'll know when we complete our analysis and that would be towards the end of this week. With the load shedding last week, we had a lot of power experts or energy experts telling us that the load shedding problem would continue for the next five years. Is that the case? A lot depends on the future demand for electricity. At the moment, we've seen that the demand is fairly flat as the, as the economy is sluggish. Uh, if the economy does pick up and electricity demand accelerates, then the time for recovery would obviously take longer because that um, that demand would be a lot higher and it would be more difficult for ESCOM to meet the demand. So there are a couple of unknowns in that equation, and I'm not sure where the five-year comes from. I'm not coming up with a different number, but certainly ESCOM's aspiration is to end this situation a lot sooner than that. And for us, getting the Madupi and Kusida power stations up and running and into service would make all the difference, and that's what we're focusing on now, and certainly we would want to do that within the next 12 months, not not within the next five years. Well, uh, that is a very unpredictable answer there. Almost kind of loosely ended uh, answers there by Andrew Etzinger. Not really giving us uh, a plan that is brought forward by ASCOM, but that's usually what we hear uh, from South Africa's power utility. uh, Really vague responses to this very big crisis. And one of the things that's remarkable, uh, Roger, coming to you, is the fact that uh, even those answers have to do with um, something that you can't really understand, future uh, utilization or, or demand of electricity. But they haven't really estimated that. They don't know what that is. Hence, they don't know how to sort out the problem. But that's not an answer, really, is it? No, it's not an answer at all. In, in fact, I'm really surprised that such an answer would be given uh, to the public. Um, 
uh, Andrew Etzinger's phrase, a little bit of maintenance, yeah. that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous answer. Frankly, um, that's exactly what's been going wrong all the years, is we've been doing a little bit of maintenance instead of doing maintenance properly and creating a situation where the power plants are then reliable. We have partial losses. We have full load losses, which uh, already in November last year, we were promised in the nine-point plan of Eskom that these would be addressed. A little bit of maintenance, wow. frankly, is an insult. Mm. Um, and secondly, I mean, Andrew doesn't know what comes first, availability of power or economic, economic growth. Well, we know very well which comes first because the economic downturn can be easily seen to be a problem of lo lack of power. power yeah. We're losing billions of rand every day through load shedding. How can such a statement be made by the, by the person who's speaking on behalf of the national generator? This is a very grave concern for, to me because Eskom is, as, 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 the, uh, uh, as the president said, too big to fail in the sense that it is the only generator of baseload electricity for the country. Mm. No Eskom, no electricity, effectively. Mm. Mm. The IPPs at this time are too small um, to pick up the, the difference. So we are totally 100% reliant on Eskom and everything operates by electricity. Mm. So... This is, this is a crazy situation, and I, I, I really don't get it. I don't get his answer at all. I, I, I'm really quite concerned mm. that, that such a statement could be made. Professor, I want to come back to you because I was also kind of, when I listened to that uh, interview done by our colleague Tuto Ngobeni uh, for our other program uh, uh, during the week, it was very strange to hear that uh, um, the determining factors of uh, our sluggish economy have not been realized as that as was highlighted by uh, Roger here that they are caused by the fact that we have an unreliable energy source here in this particular country. And that's still a continuing problem in the country. And it seems like ESCOM is playing word um, games here with us. Yes. Um, as, as we know, you know, electricity is the major uh, economic driver. Uh, so, like like uh, Roger just said, uh, it's, it's quite strange that ESCOM can give such an answer. And when it comes to prediction of the future demand, that, that can be done quite easily. Mm. Uh, you can look at a number of economic indicators and then do your, your, your demand uh, predictions. You can even predict how much energy will get from the IPPs. You can predict uh, how much energy will be used by the consumers. Uh, just from the economy, from the the economic growth uh, aspect only, you can also look at what is our predicted uh, GDP growth, uh, and and that is already out there. The IMF has, has already predicted 1.8 percent growth. Uh, you, all you need to do is to factor in all those economic um, aspects, and then do your prediction. With a, and then you add plus or minus 10% on top of on top of uh, mm. of your prediction based on on the sensitivity of the model that you use to predict yeah. your, your your generation uh, capacity versus your 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 demand. So that's why I, when I started, I indicated that the the the, the, the reasons that are that are being given don't, don't seem to tie in with with is with what is in with the reality. Professor, you know wh why I'm getting worried the more you're speaking. It seems like 
the both of you, you and Roger, are more aligned to understand what's happening with this particular energy story and narrative. And ESCOM is not giving us the the equations that you've just highlighted, Professor Mampueli, because it seems like maybe within ESCOM, the professionalism is non-existent. I'm not quite sure as an ordinary citizen what's going on in there because there's no answers. And at the same time, there are experts outside who are actually determining what's happening within the framework of ESCOM. But it seems like the people internally don't understand the framework of what they're working with. Yes, one can, can sum it up that way to say it, it looks like the people internally don't, don't it's either they're misleading the public with, with information or they don't actually understand what is happening. And one of the things that we know is that most of, our, of, of their coal power stations are, are quite old and because of that, because of the, the, of the aging of the power stations, they are now high maintenance. Uh, systems, mm. so they need to to regularly check their boilers, regularly check their their, their generators and everything to ensure that um, the, the the power station can can still produce at uh, the, the required capacities. So I think somewhere somehow somebody was is not doing their work in terms of the the, the actual maintenance. If you look, listen to Andrew talking about the the, the partial maintenance, you know, mm. you you can't be talking about that because each of the power stations should have a, a maintenance plan that is yeah. stand, standing in a maintenance plan. And based on that maintenance plan, ESCOM should be able to tell us how much generation capacity we will have at mm. each point in time. Well, that's the voice there of Professor Samson Mampueli, Director at the Center for Renewable and Sustainable Energy Studies at the Stellenbosch University. Also joining us in our studio is Roger Lilly, who is the editor of Energize magazine. I will come back to that particular issue, especially around the issues of bailing out ESCOM. I know there was a big uh, conversation late last year around uh, China bailing out ESCOM with a lot of money. And then after that, we heard that that still ESCOM doesn't have money for uh, the, the operational level of uh, the power utility. What's going on, especially when it comes to this money? Where does it go? That's where I'm trying to figure out. Does it go to um, the coal uh, suppliers? Um, does it go to the diesel suppliers? Does it go just to uh, the staff? What's happening with ESCOM in terms of uh, its uh, financial capacity? We'll, we'll ask those questions after this. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective completely understandable in the current environment that our customers would look at alternative sources of energy to meet their lighting, their cooking and other needs and for that matter in their businesses. So that is to be expected and it follows a global trend really 
of the democratization of energy resources. So that will continue with or without load shedding. It's up to ESCOM and other utilities around the world to adapt to that situation. So in South Africa, we see it's a very gradual decline in the demand for electricity from one year to the next. And as I said, around the world, that is a trend as well. And it's, I think it's a good thing. It, it really means that, uh, especially on the renewable energy side, that that is accelerating, which is good for the environment and, and I think also good for the economy to see smaller and bigger forms of power generation mixed together and compete together. That, that ultimately has to be a good thing. And ourselves would need to adapt, uh, you know, not stick forever with, uh, for example, large coal-fired power stations, but um, introduce a mix where we would also um, benefit from participating in, in customer-driven, uh, what we refer to as embedded generation systems. So this is very much on our radar as well. So are you also working on providing a similar, having that mix as you mentioned? Yes, uh, so we are, for example, just to take an example, we're looking at microgrids. We've got one pilot in the Vicksburg area at the moment where there's a community which is off the grid, off the national grid, and we put a particular solution in place for that community to draw power on. That particular community, to give, come back to your, your question, is not affected by load shedding. They have solar-powered systems with batteries, and they are independent. They are free from the grid, free from paying electricity tariffs. Of course, they still have to pay for the system. But this is an example of where ESCOM sees the future, and uh, we are in that space. This is our system. We're working together with the community and the pilots, and if that works, then we would want to extend it out to other areas as well. Well, that's the voice of Andrew Etzinger, who is uh, speaking to uh, Tuto Angobeni, representing ESCOM there. In our studio, we're joined by Roger uh, Lilly, who is the editor of Energize magazine. And on the line, we're joined by Professor Samson Mampueli, director at the Center for Renewable and Sustainable Energy Studies at Stellenbosch University. Let me start this part with you, Professor uh, Mampueli, because... As I mentioned, before we go into these alternative options that have been given uh, by ESCOM on the future of uh, energy generation uh, in the country, I'd like to look at the finances of ESCOM in terms of every time there is a bailout for ESCOM or we're seeing a loan coming from China, that's costing us a lot of money as, as a country in itself uh, because, you know, to pay back a loan is also including interests. But it seems like um, the coffers of ESCOM always uh, come to nothing and they always come back for another bailout. What's happening in that regard? Where's all this money going? Yeah, um, normally under the circumstances, um, ESCOM will have to come up with a plan before they go out there to borrow and say and identify key areas of intervention and say this is where we have the problem and to solve this problem, we need this much, which we don't have at the moment. And then based on that detailed plan, then they can go out there and, and borrow. Uh, so what we don't have uh, as, as the public is that particular detailed plan, because mm. ESCOM doesn't, is not telling us what the plan is mm. and how they're going to use that money. So it becomes difficult for, for people in the public domain to understand how this money, how ESCOM arrived at the, the, the figure to borrow in the first place and how they are going to, to use that money. If you look again, if you go back to the reasons that they give for, 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 for load shedding, they are talking about uh, the loss of uh, generation capacity due to maintenance. Now, if you look at that, you, you can't say you're going to borrow $11 billion for to maintain your systems. 
which means you, you, you didn't have you didn't budget for for, for maintenance. That mm. is poor planning, that is poor management, poor everything that you can think of. Mm. Roger, your thoughts in terms of uh, this planning issue because even now we the national energy regulator of south africa did a research of some sorts uh, and to find out if really should we have an increased cost to electricity and after that we saw that that average of 3.5 above inflation uh, cost increase i mean what were the reasons given by the national uh, energy regulator of south africa why we ordinary um, south africans have to pay for that bill yeah, we, we actually haven't seen the, 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 the decision yet. We're waiting, wow. we're waiting to wow. see uh, the decision from the regulator. But it, it, basically, my concern is that, and, I, and I, I think that the regulator is taking the same approach, is that Eskom is doing not enough to cut its, its expenses. Um, Eskom, instead of having technical teams running around the, the power stations, need to be looking closer to home and looking to see where is it spending money, it should not be spending money. And for me, the first thing it should do is it should put on hold those two great big power plants, Mudupi and Kusili. Spend no more money there. We have four of the eight units running, um, albeit not reliably. Rather spend a little bit of effort and get those four units running, mm-hmm. one in Kusili and three in Mudupi, mm-hmm. and stop there. Stop there. And our, our demand is down. Our demand is now about 30,000 megawatts, mm-hmm. roughly. Um, on paper, Eskom has 48,000 megawatts capacity. It's on paper because it doesn't all, ex- it doesn't all exist yet. It's still yeah. in construction. Mm-hmm. Um, but there should be plenty of headroom, plenty of surplus capacity, so we would never need to go into load shedding, even as we stand right now. Um, but the problem seems to be that money comes in and just disappears. Um, I think the power utility might be paying too much for coal. Um, I understand that some of the coal is transported by by truck to some of its power stations, which virtually doubles the price of the coal by the time it gets to the power station. Um, These sorts of problems need to be addressed, and they need to be addressed yesterday. Um, But they seem to be pussyfooting around it. They don't Mm. seem to be tackling this head-on in in a really aggressive manner and and seem to just expect the the, the public of South Africa to be quite happy and content to sit back and just take what we're given. Um, You know, in in, in many countries of the world, the government would fall over such a thing. You try this in a European country and the government will fall on the same day. Mm. Um, South Africans are not like that. But nonetheless, uh, it's unacceptable. Africans as a whole. <laughs> Maybe, but it's, it's unacceptable. Mm. And, and really, I think uh, Eskom needs to face the, ch- the challenge of cost-cutting. It has so much debt now that it cannot service the debt. It borrows money to service the debt. Mm. You know, that's like borrowing money on one credit card to pay another credit card. It's, it's, mm. it's unsustainable and, and, and it's crazy. I, I, I cannot believe that professional... Uh, highly qualified managers would even consider such options. Mm. And let's look at um, this issue of what uh, Andrew was speaking about when he was talking to Channel Africa's Tutungo Beni, uh, one of our journalists in our English team, saying that uh, we should now think of alternative usage of energy and that they're also introducing alternative methods and all that uh, hullabaloo. Um, and 
we know that there's been a huge debate in South Africa currently now around the IPPs, yes. uh, the independent um, energy power producers. Power producers. Um, is that the way to go? Is that going to give us a solution? Um, are South Africans driven around this alternative mode of electricity, or do we still have a long way to go in that regard in terms of shifting and realigning to that kind of energy usage? The, the energy usage issue is not the problem. The, okay. the problem is regulatory. Sure. Um, so that you and I can generate electricity at home or on our businesses without any difficulty, but we can't share that electricity with anyone. So any surplus that you put up on your roof, you can't share with your neighbor or anyone else. Uh, and, and that, to me, is a great shortfall because if we could, if we could go back, you know, uh, Andrew Etzinger spoke earlier just after the break about this community in Fixburg. I've been there. I've seen that installation. Yes, it's completely off the grid. It is powered by the sun, which charges batteries, and the whole town runs on the battery power. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the users in their homes are concerned, there's no difference. They walk into a room and they flick a switch and the light comes on. They open the fridge and the light comes on inside the fridge and the fridge is cold inside, mm-hmm. just as you and I experience in our homes when we're on the grid. Mm-hmm. So these technologies are there, these technologies are perfectly feasible, and they're affordable. The issue is that to, 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 to get economy of scale, really what you want is you want to be able to have a, a situation where perhaps uh, in, in a municipality, um, a, a particular piece of land is then converted into a solar park and feeds a, a, even a portion of that municipality. Um, so that you get economy of scale and you use the land more productively in terms of, of, of the amount of panels you can put up. Because on the, the roof of an average house, you can't put many panels. And the fewer panels you have, the less electricity you get, and then it becomes less effective. And the costs versus the, 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 the value get skewed. So you really need the, the, the most you can get for, for, for the money that you're spending. Sure. Okay, let, let me come to you, Professor Mampueli. What, what are your thoughts there? I mean, we heard Andrew there speaking about this uh, ambitious future of alternative energy. Um, do you think that is a bit too ambitious for where we are currently right now? Or do you think that's a thing that ESCOM can actually um, facilitate? Because they can't even facilitate their current infrastructure. That's where I'm worried. Yeah, Um on the on the issue of alternatives, alternatives are the way to go. Um, we have seen that um, the the prices for renewable energy technologies, such as solar panels, have been going down drastically. Um, of, obviously, in, in in our case in South Africa, we, the issues around load shedding will have an impact on the price of renewable energy technologies as well, because they become a bit uh, more of more of the, the demand kind of rises. Now, the, if you look at it from the, the grid connection point of view and big uh, independent power producers, the, the RAIPP program, um, that's the way to go. Uh, the, the building, I agree with the sentiment that we should uh, hold on to the, the, the building of Nidupi uh, and Kusile uh, because we have a lot of pro- challenges there, engineering, design problems. Uh, we have uh, a cost overruns. Now, if you, on the flip side, if you look at uh, in the independent power producers program and the renewable energy technologies side, it's easy to build a, a, a power plant 
with from within budget without having a lot of cost overruns. There's not a lot of other aspects around that. Uh, if you have cost overruns, they'll be very minimum. Now, at household level, um, I agree that we we need to incentivize uh, people at, at household level for them to, to have rooftop PV, and we need to come up with regulation or kind of easy regulation such that we, we, we have aspects of net metering. Mm. Uh, so, in other words, you generate more uh, during the day, and then you just pump the additional uh, generation capacity that you have into the grid, and then later your meter will now, uh, you, you start drawing from the grid, and then the meter will now will have to kind of reverse in terms of, uh, and, and pay kind of pay you back based on what you have mm. been paying. Mm. And that has worked quite well in, in the European countries. Mm. So I would say in a short, on a short-term basis, renewable energy is the way to go. But do we still get incentives if you do use renewable energy? Do we have a system in that regard like Europe, uh, Professor Mampeli, where you do incentivize users of alternative energy? Because I think that's also another issue that we haven't po- uh, policed or regulated very well. Yes, uh, ESCOM once had a, a program which was driven by the Department of Energy on, on the installation of solar water heaters, uh, where they were, they were giving rebates on that. And that program stopped purely because of, uh, of lack of proper planning mm-hmm. and, and proper oversight. So that brings us to who should do these things, because it was, the program was under ESCOM and we had a lot of uh, wrong installations that mm-hmm. never worked and things like that. But if you take it down to the, to the, to the actual uh, uh, user, which is the household, the people will ensure that the, whatever they install is installed properly. If you look at the geysers that were installed in, under that program, mm. most of them that are working today are the ones that the actual house owners kind of um, facilitated the whole process. You go, you buy your, your, your system, you get you get it installed by mm. your, on your own, and then you just give ESCOM an invoice and then they pay back the money. But mm-hmm. the ones that they facilitated on their side had lots of challenges. Mm-hmm. And I know government is busy now looking at that program, re-looking at the program to try and come up with uh, a, a better way of doing things. Whether they'll be able to do that, I'm not sure. I, I, I think the, 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 it takes us to, to, to the aspects that have got to deal, to deal with the privatization of the generation capacity. Wow. Roger, it seems like the issue that we've highlighted mostly in this conversation is a lack of planning. It seems like we have not had an energy plan tailor-made for our economy and our social environment. Where to from here? Well, where to from here, I think the answer really lies with uh, Eskom cutting its costs and the uh, Department of Energy or the government in principle in general uh, changing legislation to allow for more private generation, uh, big and small, uh, by, by use of wind and, and uh, solar, um, so that electricity can be available to more people. Um, when Eskom can't provide it, then maybe the private sector can. And uh, this, this, I think, is the only way forward. But Eskom, mm. in the meantime, really must challenge, or, or change rather, it must change its cost structures mm. significantly to be able to live within its income. Mm. Um, on the understanding that uh, its income is declining and will continue to decline because people are losing in, are losing confidence 
in the power utility's ability to, re- to, to supply reliable electricity. Professor Mampuele, a lot of people would say, hey, that uh, privatization issue is actually one that's very, very a hot topic right now. And the unions wouldn't like that suggestion by, by Roger. Your thoughts on the way forward? Yeah, um, I think the, the, the main aspect is on the privatization side. Uh, first, we do the unbundling, like what the president said. Uh, we have your generation separate from distribution and transmission. And then you partly privatize the generation part aspect because that, that seems to be where we've got lots and lots of uh, problems. And then you run it efficiently. The unions don't like the, the privatization because people will lose jobs. But I always say that um, with each uh, kind of industrial revolution or each, uh, when you solve certain problems, you're bound to have other challenges that are coming on board. So for the unions to to, to cry foul on the jobs, they need to be looking at how do we kind of um, reskill our people in line with what we want, what the country wants to do for the benefit of the country, because if more, more and more people are going to lose more jobs if we leave things as they are, mm-hmm. as opposed to if we act and then we may have one or two job losses here and there, but the, the system will be stable and it, the economy will continue to, to generate jobs.